What's going on, guys? Welcome back to One Stop Shop. Let's get right into this episode. We got a lot to recap from this weekend. So let's get right into it. Game five in the NBA Finals happened on Saturday night in Phoenix. The home team in this series has had most of the luck, and the home court advantage has definitely played a factor, but not in this game, unfortunately, for the Suns, because they kind of imploded a little bit. So, this was a fucking insane start to the game, at least. Phoenix had a 16-point lead after the first quarter, and then the Bucks would fight back and outscore them 43-24 to in the second, holding on to a three-point lead going into the half, and then they would outscore them in the third also to build the lead, and Phoenix would fight back late, and it was just too late. That's all that it was, like... Devin Booker had a great game again, 40 points, four rebounds, three assists, two steals, and a block in 42 minutes, knocked down two threes, 17 for 33 from the field, Chris Paul, nine for 15 from the field in 35 minutes, 21 points, 11 assists, DeAndre Ayton, 20 points, 10 rebounds, Jay Crowder, 10 points, knocked down two threes, Bridges, 13 points, three for three, from three, that's a lot of threes, okay, so, for the Bucks, Giannis, 32 points, nine rebounds, six assists, knocked down, 14 for 23 from the field in 41 minutes, yeah, 32 points for Giannis, and then Chris Middleton, 29 points last night. So these guys have been one of the craziest tandems. And then when you add Drew Holiday to the mix, he had 27 points. So like they really were able to take control of this game. Those three guys, man, like that's their own big three in a way. Like three very elite players. And Drew Holiday's been around forever. Like So the Bucks are definitely scary, and getting another player to really step up and have a great performance like Holiday, like that's one of the main things that the Bucks needed to beat the Suns. <clears throat> yeah, so Suns in four and Suns in five, that shit is done, obviously. Uh, it's honestly now looking like Bucks in six. Like, I can honestly give a shit about this series, but, like, this is just, like... It's a crazy series, man. Like, people expected Phoenix to really come out and get this dub, and then Giannis finally gets this opportunity to really show that he's capable of being, like, one of the faces of the NBA, which he already is. But, like, just by winning a title, that would just solidify everything that he's been working for. Since he's got to the league and people have had their doubts about him, and including myself, like, I have said that, like, I didn't think that he was, like, all he's cracked up to be, like, after he gets hurt all the time and, like, shit like that. But, like, it's based on how the player really reacts to adversity and by being able to get his team to the NBA Finals and dealing with injuries through it, he definitely has my respect even more than he already did. But, you know, he's a tough player and definitely a really dynamic player. He can really run the floor. 
and basically just drive to the hoop and control the game there or just dunk on everybody if they can. So, yeah. So this was a crazy game. And now the Bucks are one win away from winning their first NBA title in over 50 years since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was on the Bucks. So that's pretty crazy. Giannis could be the new face in Milwaukee. We obviously don't know if Aaron Rodgers is staying in Wisconsin. He may be retiring. Who knows? We don't. <laughs> but Giannis has definitely taken the league by storm ever since he got here as a really young kid. I think he was like 18 when he got drafted. Came over from Greece and no one had any idea what he was going to be capable of. International players have had the stigma of not being the most durable and get a lot of injuries. Obviously, we've seen that with Porzingis and other guys that come over from Europe, but Giannis is a different type of player. He's a beast, the Greek freak. He's looking to get his first NBA title and get a title to a city that hasn't had a championship in a really long time, in Milwaukee. But obviously I was rooting for the Suns to win based on Chris Paul never winning an NBA title and Devin Booker being the future face in the NBA. <clears throat> so I kind of wanted them to win. It's still possible, but they're going to have to force a game seven for them to win. So Tuesday night, 9 o'clock on ABC. Game six between the Bucks and Suns from Milwaukee. The Bucks can close out the NBA Finals, and then we have nothing to watch on TV. I'm literally like finding myself like trying to find anything to watch, like besides golf. But then there's like the United States, like, soccer team, like, playing at random games. Like, I'm trying to find, like, anything. I'm a sports junkie. Like, I will watch anything. I cannot wait until football season. Oh, thank God we're only a couple months away. Like, when we're, like, four months away from football season, is worse, you know. It's worse. And I'm really looking forward to that. I've been listening to a lot of Giants podcasts and interviews with players and stuff like that. So it's basically sounding like Saquon just needs to basically not do anything stupid this year and just basically try to keep himself as durable as possible. Obviously, that's what he needs to do. He's on his way back from catastrophic knee injury that nearly... It could have been career-threatening. Who knows? It was a really bad injury. So he's working his way back slowly but surely, and Saquon's going to be the savior of the Giants that we need. He's been one of my favorite players since he was in college. And for the Giants to bring in a bunch of other offensive threats like Kadarius Tony, who we drafted out of Florida, Kenny Galladay, obviously, and then Kyle Rudolph, our new tight end. The Giants are looking to make a new era in New York. 
or New Jersey, however you want to look at it. But no. Daniel Jones could be the quarterback of the future, and obviously Joe Judge did not draft Daniel Jones, so we got to expect that he's just fighting for his job this season, and he has to really show that he's not a one-dimensional quarterback, and he kind of broke out of his shell last year, showed that he was a mobile quarterback and was able to make some really good throws, and he has a very solid arm. Obviously, lasted longer in New York than Sam Darnold, so like the Giants definitely have a young prospect to be a future NFL superstar potentially. Like he was definitely drafted way higher than Tom Brady or any of those quarterbacks. So like Daniel Jones may be the answer, and now that he has a lot, a lot of solid weapons on offense. And getting Saquon back and then establishing him out of the backfield to create the run game. I think Daniel Jones is going to be a great quarterback. I honestly think he's going to have a good season. I'm just being an optimist. And, like, you know, I feel like the Giants win at least 10 games this season. I hope. And obviously there is one extra game this year, so there's 17 games this season, so that's one extra chance to get a victory. And the Giants are definitely hungry. Joe Judge, I listened to him on a podcast with Sean McVay, the coach of the Rams. Last week I already mentioned this on an episode, but like he just really gets us hyped up as Giant fans to like really expect that they're going to come out and try to rip people's heads off, especially on defense. And they've upgraded there, too. Obviously, our defensive line with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. And then adding Ellerson Smith out of Northern Iowa on the edge. And then Aziz Ojolari out of Georgia, our new linebacker, is going to be a force with Blake Martinez. And then in our secondary with Adoree Jackson, Jabril Peppers. Uh, James Bradbury, we got a lot of solid defensive players now. The Giants' defense is probably going to be one of the top ones in the league this year, just based on who they drafted and who they were able to pick up, too. They definitely played great defense last year, and that's why they were kept in a lot of games that they won. Obviously, we only won a few games last year, but, you know, it's something to build on. And Joe Judge is definitely trying to lead the way. Jason Garrett, obviously, leading the offense. The Giants look like they could potentially go and win the division. Like, I don't really see the Cowboys fucking doing too much. And then the Redskins, obviously, they're a shit show. So, like, they have, obviously, a good defense. And they obviously got to prove a lot on offense. So, that don't need to be shown. And then the Eagles, obviously, are probably one of the biggest threats to the Giants, getting Devontae Smith and then having Jalen Hurts as their starting quarterback this year. So, without having Carson Wentz in town for the Eagles, they can completely just focus on Jalen Hurts. And he's obviously a really talented quarterback. He showed that he was very 
mobile in college, and now that he has one of the top targets in Devontae Smith, the Eagles can potentially be a threat. But I still think the Giants are going to come out on top in the division this year, just based on the additions that they made and the coaching that they have. And Joe Judge is going to lead us to a Super Bowl in a couple of years if it's not this year. So, knock on wood, we're going to fucking win a Super Bowl soon because it's about time that the Giants are good again. Tom Coughlin was honestly the last head coach that gave us a belief in our team that we were actually capable of winning even when we had our backs against the wall and had to win every single game to just get into the Super Bowl. So, Giants fans know... How much we appreciate when our team wins and when we lose, we are fucking hurt. Like I've mentioned, one of my friends used to wear a fucking paper bag over his head when we were watching games together because, like, he was ashamed of the fucking team. And I completely get that. <laughs> Shout out, Nick. <laughs> but, you know, that's enough football talk. I just got really excited about football season. And, yeah, to switch it up, let's recap some of the fights that happened over the weekend. We had a really solid fight night in the UFC. It was headlined by Islam Makachev, number nine in the lightweight rankings, against Thiago Moises out of American Top Team in Miami. Or Florida, whatever. So, Islam Makachev, he's the second coming of Khabib. There's no way around that. He's going to be champ in no time. He submitted Moises in the fourth round. This was a five-round main event, obviously, in the lightweight division. He won via rear and naked choke. Makachev looked very impressive. This was a great competition. Moises was very game. He obviously made it to the fourth round. Most people don't make it very far with Makachev because he has great grappling and is able to submit you. Trains with Khabib, for God's sake. And Daniel Cormier. (laughs) So, that was that. Great main event. Makachev called out Rafael Dos Anjos, longtime UFC veteran. And he also called out Michael Chandler while Michael Chandler was live on a UFC broadcast on ESPN. So he heard it, like, in real time, and he was like, that's a crazy fight. Like, he wasn't really expecting it. So Islam against Michael Chandler, like, that would be fucking crazy. I kind of want to see Michael Chandler against Justin Gaethje, but fucking, like, yeah, I mean, screw it. Islam against whoever. He's going to be champ in no time. I think everyone would probably want to see him face Connor, but I don't feel like that would probably ever happen because he's too tough of an opponent. And it would be... That would kind of be like a dream matchup for a lot of UFC fans because Islam is so close to Khabib, and Khabib obviously has the win over Connor, and they'll probably never fight again. So it would probably be like the next closest thing for Connor if he wanted to avenge that loss in a way because Khabib's retired. That was just a thought that came into my mind, but kind of makes sense, you know? And then in the co-main event, we had Misha Tate against the retiring fighter Marion Renault. 
This was her last fight. She announced that before. And Misha Tate was obviously making her long awaited return to the Octagon. I think it was like four years or something. And she won in the third round. The uh, KO, TKO with some elbows. She finished it on the ground. And yeah, she beat Renault and retired her. And Misha Tate's trying to get back into title contention. Like, we'll definitely have to see her schedule in the next couple months. Like, if she gets booked on another fight. And, like, Dana White could definitely just, like, make the fight of Misha Tate against Amanda Nunes. That would be one of the biggest fights to happen in the women's bantamweight division. So, that would be insane. She looked very impressive. She was in great shape. So, she just had a kid. And she wanted to get back into fighting, so congrats to her. She did great, and looking forward to seeing who she fights next. Uh, Jeremy Stevens got his ass kicked by Matus Gamrot. He got subbed literally in the first minute of the fight. A Kimura literally cranked Jeremy Stevens' arm really bad, and he added that. Matus Gamrot just beat a really respected UFC fighter in Jeremy Stevens Matus Gamera 19-1 on the rise in the lightweight division he said in his post-fight press conference he was like I will be champ one day so this guy's determined to get to the top and it's always cool to see new contenders come out of nowhere and his last few fights have been pretty impressive so that was a good one too Rodolfo Vieira rear naked choke over Dustin Stoltzfus in the third round, he subbed him. Vieira, very intense. American top team is one of the best teams in all of Florida, probably all the world. Like Jorge Masvidal trains out there, Amanda Nunes, Barbosa, Tiago Santo, like so many guys, Dust Poirier. And. Yeah, like, they produce a lot of these guys, and then a lot of guys are coming up. Vieira is one of them. He's 8-1, and one, and he really is a impressive fighter. Then we had an insane fight between Billy Corintillo against Gabriel Benitez. Finished in the third round. Corintillo finished Benitez with some punches, and they stopped him. That was a great one. Daniel Rodriguez beat Preston Parsons, continuing his win streak after beating Mike Perry. Amanda Lemos beat Conejo. Francisco Figueredo lost to Malcolm Gordon via unanimous decision. And the first fight of the night was fucking crazy between Nascimento and Elaine Badeau. Finishing the second round, KO for Nascimento. So, great night of fights. We got a great one next weekend. Also, headlined by Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw. Also, great fight on that one. It is pretty early in the fight card. Adrian Yanez against Randy Costa in the Bantamweight division. That's on the prelims on ESPN. So, there's a lot of great fights next week. Also, Sajara Eubanks fighting in the women's flyweight division. 
Brendan Allen getting back in there in the middleweight division. He's an exciting fighter. He's 16 and 4. Nicky Gall fighting. Guy who beat CRM Punk. Darren Elkins and Derek Maynard. Darren Elkins, longtime UFC fighter. He's 26 and 9 against Derek Minner. 26 and 11 on his career. So this is a battle of some longtime fighters in the featherweight division. That's on the main card. Then we got Kyler the Matrix Phillips against Ralian Paeva in the bantamweight division. And then the main event is TJ Dillashaw, Corey Sanhagen. That's a great fight card. Cannot wait for that fight. The return of TJ Dillashaw, one of my favorite fighters ever. He's obviously dealt with a lot of adversity. And injuries and the EPO shit and, like, whatever. But, like, he's one of the best fighters. And apparently, like, according to Brandon Schaub, who I get a lot of my MMA information from, the fighter and the kid podcast like whatever like tj dillashaw he wasn't on epo for all of his fights like it was literally like when he went down to flyweight to help him recover from the weight cut so he was able to actually perform at the highest of his abilities so you got to have some compassion for that guy like he was just trying to do some great shit he was trying to become a two division champion and it takes a lot out of you when you do that. So Corey Sanhagen has a really tough test ahead of him and a really motivated TJ Dillashaw. But Sanhagen obviously coming off of the highlight reel knockout over Frankie Edgar with the flying knee is not one to be messed with. Corey Sanhagen is probably one of the best up-and-coming fighters in all of the UFC coming out of Colorado in the bantamweight division. He could be champ soon. Hopefully when the Aljamain Sterling Peter Yan situation gets settled, the winner of this will get the title shot. So really looking forward to that one also. And then we had a really controversial finish to the Jermel Charlo Brian Castaño fight, which was for the undisputed super welterweight championship of the world. And yeah, I was paying really close attention to this fight also. It was obviously going on at the same time as UFC, but I had both to watch at the same time. And, yeah, Jermel Charlo, like, he was kind of getting work throughout the first eight rounds. Like, he was only, like, really winning two rounds on the unofficial fight card, according to the broadcast on Showtime. And Castaño was kind of, like, keeping him at distance. He wasn't really landing too many shots on him. But the fight ended in a draw. And it was kind of crazy because it was a split decision. And one of them was a draw on the card. So it kind of fucked up the entire thing. So Charlo keeps his belt. Castaño keeps his belt. Charlo was obviously trying to unify the division, but it didn't happen. But he's lucky that he didn't lose his titles because he probably could have lost this fight. And I'm a Jermel Charlo fan. I love the Charlo brothers. They're the future of boxing. And they do a great job promoting these events. And I wish that Charlo was able to land a couple power punches on Castaño because he really needed to knock him out 
to really get the uh, decisive win. But he wasn't able to. At least he doesn't lose his titles. Hopefully these guys fight again. It was a great fight. So, look forward to that. And then... That's pretty much it. The Mets won a incredible comeback victory yesterday over the Pirates. They were down 6-0. Louis Rojas, the manager of the Mets, he got ejected after Taiwan Walker was arguing about a really bad call of a foul ball that they called fair, and then a couple runs scored, and then the Mets really went down big. And then... They were able to get back into the game. Michael Conforto was the savior, hitting a two-run home run in the ninth inning on the road to give the Mets a 7-6 to victory. And now we're going to really need some guys to step up for the Mets because Lindor's on the I.L. and so is DeGrom for the time being with some arm tightness or soreness or some shit. And Lindor's out with an oblique injury. So... He'll be out for a couple weeks, it looks like. And that's pretty much it. Uh, some new music that came out last week on Friday. Pop Smoke's new album released. It's called Faith. It has a lot of interesting features on it. Kanye West and Pusha T on a song called Tell the Vision. Rick Ross on a song called Manslaughter. A song called About a Million featuring 21 Savage and 42 Doug. Take Off of the Migos on a song called What's Cracking. Mr. Jones featuring Future, which is probably one of my favorite songs that's on there. He has a collab with Chris Brown. Dua Lipa, Pharrell, a song called 8-Ball with Kid Cudi. One of my favorites. song with Quavo and Kodak Black. It has it all. And... R.I.P. Pop Smoke, taken from this world too soon. And just got to be grateful for every day that you got. Never take anything for granted. You only got one life, so you got to live your best life. And it's been episode one, Stop Shop. Peace out, guys. Hope you have a great day, great week. Let's get after it. Peace out.